0: hello welcome back into sermon notes uh this is garland and we've got ryan burton with us uh, in the house this morning uh ryan say hey
1: hey pleasure to be here
0: so Ryan uh, and myself, actually, we we had previously been a part of uh, leading our college ministry and helped serve on Sunday morning, uh, obviously, for the last several years. But um, in uh, in this summer, we've kind of transitioned over to full-time uh, working with adults on Sunday morning. So we thought this would be a good chance for you, the Sermon Notes listener person, you're part of our Fellowship Faithville congregation, just to get to know Ryan a little bit better as he'll be our, our, our primary worship uh, leader moving forward, kind of leading and steering our worship culture. And so, uh, Ryan, tell us just you know, a little bit about who you are, um, you know, where you're from and
1: wife, kids, all that stuff. Well, I hail from the great lands of Texarkana, Arkansas. Beautiful down there. More, yeah, I guess. More <laughs> specifically, uh, Genoa, Arkansas. Even, even more beautiful. Yeah. yeah, it's a little country suburb right outside Texarkana. But um, yeah, my, my family raised us there, and um, I came up to to college here at the U of A um, back in 2007. And, um, pretty much been here ever since I I moved to Nashville, was in Nashville for about three years after I graduated college and then came home back to Fayetteville. So um, you you've you've worked at churches before.
0: You've owned ice cream shops here in Fayetteville, so Burton's Creamery that was that was your baby uh, that you created. Yeah. Um, and along the way, uh, you got two little ones now. So tell us about just your family
1: and uh, what that's looking like. Yeah, yeah. So we have got two two little girls. Uh, Hattie is my oldest. She's about three and a half now. Um, June just turned one, um, just a couple months ago. And so, um, it's a wild house. It's fun. (laughs) I'm the, I'm the only male in there in the, in the house, but Hey, it's, it's a good time. And yeah, we, uh, I just, I sold, I saw, opened and ran a creamery for, um, about eight years and just sold it back in January. Um, my kids aren't really old enough to understand that we no longer have an ice cream business. I think one day they'll be upset about that, but for right now, we're just rejoicing that it's, <laughs> it's, sold, it's no yeah. <laughs> longer a burden. Um, it was fun to run for for several years, but uh, man, I'd be lying if I said I didn't I didn't feel like a lot more freedom now and, and able to dive full into uh, ministry, which has been awesome.
0: Well, uh, we're we're blessed to have you on our team now, um, and so it's been fun to work with you. Um, well, in light of that, we are continuing in our mission vision series. So we always take uh, this time of the year, we always take, you know, three or four weeks and look at why do we exist as a church? What are we doing here? What is our goal? Where are we headed? And last week, Clark did a great job, I think, just sort of reestablishing that discipleship starts with people devoting themselves to following Jesus. And it was a a good call to uh, confession and just to action last week from Clark. And this week, we're going to be looking at what it means for us to worship together. Last week was we make disciples together. This week is we worship together. Next week, it'll be we gather together in in homes. We gather together at uh, coffee shop tables. We gather together uh, on Sunday mornings. What does that look like? So we're going to go towards this concept of worship here uh, this upcoming Sunday. And we're diving back back into John. So I'll be teaching on Sunday morning and we're going back to John 21 weeks. We were out of it for one week and now we're back, back into John. And we're going back to a familiar passage. It's a passage that, um, we actually looked at in our John series in the encounter series. It's this, it's John chapter four, where Jesus has his encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. And it's a famous passage, um, because of just the compassion of Jesus. But what what comes up in this particular passage is um, that the dialogue that Jesus has with this woman, a major theological issue arises, I'm going to have you read for us, um, verse 4, chapter 4, 19 and 20. And so, uh, I didn't tell him this, so he's, he's pulling it up now, but John chapter 4, 19 and 20, as Jesus and this woman, and if you recall, this woman is a, is a Samaritan, and so we're going to come back to their dis- dispute in a minute, but there's open hostility between Jesus' community, the Jewish community, and the Samaritan community. There's open hostility between them, um, and we saw when we taught this in our Encounters series, uh, w- she's got a questionable background. We're not entirely sure what's gone on with her, but she's coming alone at the hot part of the day, um, and for a Jewish rabbi to speak this openly with a woman was also frowned upon. So there's many layers that Jesus crosses in this dialogue with this woman. It's a beautiful display of his compassion and grace. But then she asks a great theological question. Read it for us in chapter four, 19 and
1: 20. Okay. This is ESV. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Okay. So um, I think many
0: times we read this and it seems like she's doing a little evasion here. Like he's just brought up her husband's and it's almost like it, it appears she may be evading him. Now I don't think that's what she's doing. I don't think her motive is, um, oh man, he's, he's on to my worst moments. Let's change the subject and maybe I can throw him. I think she's genuinely impressed by Jesus. She's saying, wow, how does this man know me? And there's a lot of language loaded in her question. In fact, it's going to drive uh, the meaning of the passage later. But sermon notes, we're going to cover some of this on Sunday. Sermon notes is where we go to to try to get some of the background material that we don't cover, especially for you that are leading small groups. So a couple pieces that aren't going to make the sermon, or at least we'll just not have enough time. If you look at the end of verse 19, she says, I can see that you are a Prophet. Now, uh, a couple points of reference that you can write down if you're listening to this Uh, go read Deuteronomy 18 and then Deuteronomy 34. Uh, The Samaritans had a a sharp disagreement with Jews over several theological issues, but one of the issues that they had a disagreement about was uh, the extent of God's revelation, or basically how many books are in the sacred text. The Samaritans had they had limited it to just the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, and the Jews said, "No, no, 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 no. There's the prophets. Uh, there's these some of the, there's these historical books. We've got more to our what we would call the canon. That's that's a little that's a word we use now. They probably wouldn't have used that word. Um, and that disagreement meant that the Jews had some broader expectations about a Messiah, a Messiah from David, but the Samaritans, they're looking for the prophet. And if you look at Deuteronomy 18, the the Torah literally ends, so Deuteronomy 34 ends with the author making this, this somewhat surprising note. It almost ends on a dot, dot, dot or an ellipsis. It says, from that time on, no prophet arose in Israel that was like Moses who spoke to God face to face. And that created an expectation for the Samaritans. They're looking for the, the prophet. And so her question, rather than being a dodge, it actually may show that she's really interested in Jesus here. Are you she's this curious. guy Yeah, that we're looking for? And then she loads it up even more. The great debate between the Samaritans and the Jews was on location. Now, we understand the importance of location. We just don't think about it all that often. Like if I say um, Omaha Beach or Gettysburg... Those are dramatic places that we know something important happened there. When you step foot on those places, you would feel the sacredness. And we could be less dramatic if I say, "Have you ever been?" And you have you ever been in the Ryman? How do you feel when you go into the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville?
1: Like some special is
0: about to happen. Exactly. Like all the greats played here, yeah. the legends have all been here. It feels almost sacred. So the same feeling you get going to Fenway Park or Lambeau Field or the Ryman Auditorium. Mm-hmm. Magnify that by like. Like, turn the dial up to 11, and that's what you have with ancient Near Eastern worship culture. Where you worship the deity is extremely important. That's why in the Old Testament, you see them constantly building temples and altars up on high places or next to large sacred trees or sacred sites, because that's where they believe the deity and the human come together. And so you build a temple temple there or an altar and for the Jews and the Samaritans, there's a huge disagreement. When the, when the people of Israel are going into the land, Deuteronomy, God says, go in and then go to the mountain that I will show you. And that's where you will worship me. And when they go in, so Joshua leads them in, um, they go to Mount Gerizim. And there they they set up an altar and worship God. And the Samaritans said, that's the mountain. That's what Deuteronomy says. That's where Joshua took us. That's the place. As the Jews Look at their sacred texts. David had established, and then Solomon built the temple, a different place. Namely, we call it Mount Zion or or the city of Jerusalem. That's the holy city. So for Jews, God says, I'll put my name there. Where? In Jerusalem. And this disagreement has created not just a little theological debate like we might have over You know, did God choose us or did we choose God? No, this had been something they were going to to battle over. Mm -hmm. And so literally blood has been spilled over the question of which mountain do we worship? And it just so happens that they're here at Jacob's well. And Jesus is standing literally on the foothills of Mount Gerizim. It's right in their background. And so she says on this mountain or you guys' mountain down in Jerusalem, where do we encounter Yahweh? And Jesus's response is utterly shocking. This is going to bring us a talk pra- practically on Sunday and here in this podcast, just a minute. He essentially says, neither, they're all wrong. Now the truth of where you worship God is in the spirit following me. And we're going to talk on Sunday about how that happens. And we're going to look at Acts chapter two, mm-hmm. but that would be a shocking response for anyone reading this, a Samaritan or a Jew reading this would go, whoa, 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 you can't change the game that significantly. And we're going to talk on Sunday about how the game was changed. Jesus says, now in my completed work, just a few pages after this, he'll say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in the in the work of Jesus in sending his spirit, now the great outpouring of the spirit of God in the ministry and the work of Jesus has so changed the game that he says, you're actually going to just worship me everywhere. Everything you do is now worship. So you actually say every week, um, and I want to get your take on this. Every week as we leave, you say, uh, we love you, Fellowship Fable. Have a wonderful week of worship. Unpack why.
1: Yeah, I, I really, I want our people to understand that worship does not only occur inside the walls of this church. Um, in fact, that you know, we're called to live um, a life where we, um, we pray without ceasing, uh, does that mean that we're constantly, even as you and I talk right now, I'm I'm in prayer with God? I don't think necessarily, but I do I do think that it means that we are constantly mindful of who He is and how He's working, and I think that's an act of worship. And so, whether it's um, you know going to our jobs or taking care of our kids um, or just having a conversation with a friend, um, I think we can be mindful. Uh, of how Yahweh is in that moment, how he created those things that we are experiencing. And we can have a worshipful posture in all of those things. Yeah, so Jesus really, I think he really
0: intends for to change the game that significantly. And for many of us, we fail to grasp this. I think for a lot of us in the church, this is why we're going here this Sunday. I think for us, we often think worship, quote unquote, is that thing that happens in the quote worship center at the building. And Jesus would have us understand that completely different that now everything I do, this is why Paul can say, Hey, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Um, that's a significant category shift. And, uh, we want to help our people this Sunday to see, um, the importance of worship. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, like I said on Sunday, now here's what I'd like to do with the remaining little bit of our time here. Um, we are going to talk pragmatically on Sunday, and I'd love to do that even here. Um, we actually do come together and sing on Sunday morning for 65 minutes every single week. And well, if uh, you're teaching, maybe. If I'm teaching, we go a little maybe long. Um, yeah, we might, go little, we might go a little long that day. Seven. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm trying to do better. Um, this week, I'm definitely going long. Don't tell Dave. Um, so we we actually craft that 65 minutes with uh, weeks of intentionality. And what we're going to say on Sunday is uh, your voice matters. Like if you're listening to this, Mm. you're to to praise and worship God. Like it involves your mouth moving Mm. in praise and gratitude in service to others and in, like this thing we call singing, whether you can sing really well, like you, or you sound really bad. Um, your mouth moving matters. We're going to talk about our posture. I'd love to get your take on these, uh, uh, here in a moment, just how we posture our bodies, standing, sitting, raising our hands, kneeling. It matters. Um, we know this to be true in real life. And we sometimes forget it. I think when we come into the church, we, our style matters and we'll talk about that a little bit here in a minute. Um, I think Jesus would want us to know our life matters now. Even what we do on Saturday is worship. Uh, and then lastly, our expectations matter. Do we come expecting on Sunday to encounter God? Now, that's going to be some of the things we hit on Sunday. I'd love to just give you the floor and say, you're, you're leading us now in uh, our worship culture Um what what are the what are the big guiding principles for us as a congregation as we come to this building to worship the Lord? What do you put your intentionality and your time into thinking through?
1: Well, in in service planning, you know, one thing that I really love about fellowship is um, the services are really crafted around the scripture that we're leaning into that day. And so, when it comes to choosing songs or different elements that we're that we're kind of putting in the liturgy for the day, um, it really comes down to what what does the text say. Um, and we actually spend uh, a whole month leading up to that service and reading that scripture week after week and kind of picking it apart as a pastoral team and trying to figure out what what is it that um, that the Bible's teaching us here? What is, what is the context of it? How does this passage point to Christ? And then how can we reflect that in song and in different... So you're not just
0: randomly components. picking
1: your favorites. You know... Sometimes I would like to, <laughs> uh, but no, you know, we, we do a lot of different songs at fellowship. Um, I was speaking, I had lunch with a, a fellow worship pastor at another church in town, and he was, he was kind of talking about how limited their catalog of songs are. And I think there's some benefit to that in some some ways, and, you know, their people really can, can dig in and learn those songs well um, but you know we don't we don't really do that here at Fellowship. We have a lot of different songs. We'll pull we'll pull hymns. We'll pull new current songs. We'll pull songs back in my youth group days, back in the early two thousands. I love those songs. Oh, me too. <laughs> um, but we'll we'll kind of pull whatever song we think is is best suited for the teaching that day. In a lot of ways, and, and of course, you know when we're introducing new songs, we might do them a little more frequently. Um, but there's a lot of different components and a lot of different. Um, um, things that we consider when, when we are kind of crafting these services. So, um, talk about style you know we play different kinds of
0: songs uh there's an old saying i'm not sure if it's true or not i i, I think i heard this but i think it might have been a ted talk even that you end up your favorite style of music ends up being the style that you were listening to for most people when they turned 18 oh. so there's an old there's i've heard this many many times so i need to verify it um which what that means for me is like i mostly listened to alan jackson and Toby Keith, and like George Strait. That's what I listened to. Yeah. Um, and I got no problem admitting that, okay? Uh, and so um, late 90s country, that's where I'm going. Yeah. So with that, there's, there's a lot of style preferences sure. that show up on our worship center on a Sunday morning. Um, speak, speak into that. Uh, how do we navigate that? What does that look like? How people see um, what we think through?
1: Well, first, let me say it, it's difficult. I mean, we've got, on any given Sunday, five generations that are in that room that are worshiping. And like you said, the styles, the preferences of style are going to be all over the map. Um, we did, we, and we try to do this a couple times a year, have a have a bluegrass type uh, vibe of, of worship. Uh, and those are fun because we don't do them uh, super often, I mean, twice a year or so. Um, but I probably had more, uh, people come up to me after that service and just thank me and the band for leaning into that style that week. And then I know you've, you've got some friends too, that, that mentioned to you like, ah, you know, it's just, I don't really get it. Yeah. A lot of right? my friends can't stay the Bluegrass <laughs> yeah. today, which I think <laughs> is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but you know, that's some of that is some of the worship I grew up on growing to right. these little small Southern Baptist churches in South Arkansas. And so there's some, there's a nostalgic piece to it that, um, that kind of stirs my affections for the Lord that reminds me of his faithfulness that has, uh, occurred in my life over the decades that I've been trying to follow him. Um, all that to say is that that those weeks in particular, those bluegrass weeks, they're going to fall differently on people. Um, you know, the, some sometimes we'll lean heavily into hymns, and we'll do those maybe a little more stripped back, the the acoustic versions um, of these different acoustic arrangements of different songs, and that that's people prefer that. And then, no matter how full, big band with organ, bringing in a choir, two electric guitars, no matter how much we can put on stage and how big we can make the sound, we'll still have people that man. You should add more you need like, more energy. Yeah, it's not loud you, you, enough. Yeah, yeah you need to yeah. have people running around on stage so it's um, you know where wherever you land in there um, is you know you're not you're not going to be satisfied at least at fellowship, you're not going to be satisfied week after week because it actually does change and we're we intentionally do that um, because we we understand that we are. Um, trying to facilitate an atmosphere of worship for five different generations. Mm-hmm. I appreciate,
0: and this is something you brought to our team. You know, we we evaluate each service and kind of talk about it and, and share stories. And one of the, the the question we ask that I think is really significant. We don't ask what styles did we hit or did we make everybody happy. Yeah. Um, the, actually, the question we ask is, was Jesus made the hero? How was Jesus made the hero? in that place yesterday morning it was on our Monday morning meeting and I think it's a good reminder and we just that's our aim we'd ask you the Sermon O's listener the Fellowship Fable Congregant make that your aim yeah. and uh, I know there's a story of uh, another church down in Dallas where they brought in a young guy. They brought in Matt Chandler. He was in his late 20s, early 30s. It was an old Baptist church that was really struggling. They said, here, you just run it. And uh, he came in and changed almost everything, small group style, worship style, teaching style, um, membership style, everything. And it looked dramatically different. Um, He didn't wear a suit and tie, just everything was different. And uh, several of the kind of the original uh, congregation, several of them couldn't, couldn't, couldn't deal with it. And one older gentleman, and he shares this story a lot. So so I can share it. uh, Chandler does an older gentleman just stuck in there and he still wore the suit and tie. He greeted at the door every week. He shook the hands. He was a, he served. And Chandler at one point just went, dude, why did you stay? Like why, Hmm. you know, you're, you're in your suit and tie. That's not what anybody else is wearing. Like why, you know, why, what's compelling you to, to want to stick this out? And his answer was young people are coming to Christ here. And that's worth being a part of, even though it's not my preferred style. And that's just always been, we share that and Discover. That's always been a helpful reminder to me because, you know, it's not always the style I want. Sure. Um, And so you told me when we were talking about this, it's not always the songs you want to play. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. um, The last thing I'd love to just chat on, and I know we're going a little long on this sermon notes, but I think this is good. Um, We have a, every church has what we call a liturgy. Mm. Um, some liturgies can be a little bit more traditional. Um, so you can think of a, of a Lutheran service or an Anglican service, uh, or a Catholic service has a very scripted traditional, we might say liturgy. Um, but every church has a liturgy, um, whether they uh, know it or not, liturgy just is the order of how things flow in a service. Yeah. You've spent some time trying to craft our liturgy to try to bring some elements, we
1: might say of a more traditional liturgy. Explain that for us. Sure, yeah. Well, I just think there are some elements that are vital for us as a body of believers to experience every week. And so, um, over the years, I've kind of pulled some of those out and, and tried to craft a liturgy um, that seems natural, um, that kind of articulates the gospel as we go through the liturgy. And so, so typically in the, in the liturgy that we have, and this, you know, it, it might not be exactly the same every week. Um, but by default, this is kind of where we start out when we start service planning. There'll be some type of call to worship, which usually involves a, uh, a reading of a passage or scripture, and, or at least a reminder of, hey, this is why we get to gather. We're, we're gathering to worship an almighty God, and let's celebrate in that. There's usually an element following that after um, a few minutes of uh, a confession And then an assurance of pardon. So remembering the weight of our sin and that we do in fact need a savior, but then rejoicing in the fact that we have that savior um, and our assurance of pardon that is in Christ. Uh, And this may accompany um, some type of heart posture moment where we're, we're trying to just bring everybody in and get everyone focused as we continue on throughout the worship service. Before the teaching, we would typically have a scripture reading that usually helps the teaching pastors a little bit um, to where they might not have, have the time, and their 30 minutes that we've allotted them to, to kind of to read the passage. And so we'll, we'll have some type of scripture reading of the passage that day. Um, we'll teach, we'll teach the Word of God, and then we'll respond in worship. So after hearing this good news, and again, like you mentioned earlier, our goal is that in the teaching and the worship, we're always making Jesus... The hero, um, that the gospel is celebrated. And so we get to respond to that in worship, which is why we almost always follow the teaching with songs, to to allow for that worship response. And then I I like to have um, what I call a gospel proclamation text of some sort. And that's either, again, a spoken word or some type of scripture that really articulates the basic components of the gospel. Um, I feel like as as a, as a as a team of pastors that if people walk in this room, in this building, and they walk into a Sunday morning service and they have not heard the gospel, then we have failed. Yeah, what are we doing here? We yeah. have failed miserably. And so um, the goal is that they hear it time after time after time throughout a Sunday morning. Um, but I, I want to articulate that at some point. And so we have a gospel proclamation text and then a benediction to send people out, Um with at the end. That's kind of our standard liturgy here at Fellowship Fayetteville.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of intentionality in that, um, and you're bringing even more uh, to, to, to our church, I think, and helping us think through that carefully. Um, this has been helpful for me. You know, we're we're trying to reshape, and when you come to a mission vision series, it's let's recalibrate, let's reshape, let's remind ourselves um, why we exist and what we're doing, and um, the Westminster Catechism, as it's, as it's its first statement, um, the chief end of humanity is to glorify God or to worship Mm -hmm. and to enjoy Him forever. So there's nothing more essential, nothing more momentous, nothing more urgent than our worship. And that's not just what Happens in the worship center. It's with our lives, and so we're gonna we're gonna recalibrate that this Sunday. And I hope this has been just a helpful uh, discussion for you, the sermon notes listener, on you know why we do what we do and what it looks like. We'd love any feedback you got or questions, but feel free to to reach out out to us. But uh, we're excited to, to to join you this week as we worship our King and to do so with all that we do to give glory to Him. So thanks for listening. Have a great day.